Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. We're overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all-new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, here once again, joined by energetically John Daigle and our special guest, Patrick Darty. Gentlemen, how are we on this Thursday afternoon? Good. I was ready to read 9,000 tweets about the NFL schedule tonight, of which we already know all the opponents. Pat, before we move any further, I know that the universe is clamoring to hear about how your time with the Minnesota Vikings is going virtually through Madden. How is that franchise going, Pat? Have you sunk it into the ground? I'll try to keep it brief. There have been a lot of developments since last week. Um, So the regular season ended. Uh, Kirk Cousins supported four 1,000-yard receivers. Steph Diggs, Adam Thielen. I traded for Will Fuller, of course. Needed some speed. And Kyle Rudolph. Um, He came 15 yards shy of the first 6,000-yard season in NFL history. Uh, Didn't quite get there. But we have since – there's a bitter taste in our mouth because we were upset by a human opponent and arch rival, the Green Bay Packers, in the divisional round. So the journey has come to an end. made for TV. But uh, what I may have left out, too, is that in addition to those records, Kirk Cousins also set the single-season interceptions record. Uh, Of course he did. We were playing Jameis ball uh, where we were challenging downfield a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I punted once or twice all season. <laughs> so the interceptions kind of functioned as punts uh, in a lot of ways. But, I, oh, by the way, Steph Diggs set the single season receiving record of 2,500 yards receiving. Uh, but the records don't mean anything because we lost uh, – we didn't meet the ultimate team goal. So, Well, Pat, I'm glad we have that update. And now we don't need to hear about it for the rest of the podcast. Well, season two, you know, will be beginning probably next week uh, once the humans finish the playoffs. There was some uh, sneaky strategy involved on Josh's part there. I see what you're doing. Once and, again, uh, I don't think we need to hear about it for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> Here, we're going to do – I'm just going to telegraph one thing. I know we, we really don't need to hear about it, but uh, – From this point on. We're, we're going to be going hard after Kyler Murray in the offseason. Let's just put it that way. Mm. Oh, a deal for the NFL's leading passer in NFL history <laughs> and trying to get – the rookie that Pat devoted his entire 2019 season to. I love it. I feel like the single season passing record will make him attractive to the CPU trade market. So, uh, so you yeah. know, Bill O'Brien makes these deals in real life. And then Patrick Doherty goes into the virtual sticks and he's like, hold my beer. I'm yes. going to make any move that I want to and target any player at all costs. I love it, Pat. I didn't know you and, and Bill O'Brien were, were that close in the brain, just connected in that area. It's a, uh, this is fascinating. I'm finding out more and more about you. But unlike Bill O'Brien, uh, we really focused on the pass when building this roster. Uh, we did not trade DeAndre Hopkins for uh, David Johnson. 
Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On Tuesday's episode, right when we had started, Frank Gore had signed with the New York Jets and producer Chris Anise suggested we talk about that. I immediately said, why do we need to talk about Frank Gore getting possibly 100 touches next year? Then last night at about 10, 15, I get a text message from John Daigle saying, hey, we need to talk about Frank Gore tomorrow. So John Daigle, here is the floor. Frank Gore has signed with the New York Jets in a backfield that is loaded after giving Le'Veon Bell a massive contract last offseason after spending a fourth-round pick on rookie LaMichael Pirine. How does Frank Gore fit in the New York Jets backfield? And the blowback I've received, I'm just simply wanting to talk about Frank Gore, is horrendous. Uh, It's significant, Josh, because he played better than Le'Veon Bell last year. Uh, And I think that a lot of that can be attributed to the offensive line, which has since been upgraded, and adding – Makai Becton, Greg Ben Roden, Connor McGovern, but Bell looked as if he was mimicking David Johnson throughout the year. Four yards per touch. His three rushing scores from two, one, and one yard out. Uh, we know Gase previously chose to lean on Gore over a, at the time, 24 year old Kenyon Drake when he led the team in carries with the Dolphins in 2018. Uh, are we just supposed to ignore the signs and reports and listen to our colleagues when they say don't talk about Frank Gore when there's clearly going to be a backfield timeshare there? But I think, you know, there are tons of backfield timeshares across the league. And if we're talking about singular backs, which maybe Le'Veon Bell was, overall, Daigle, this New York Jets team is not one that I want to invest in from a fantasy perspective at all. So no. even throwing Frank Gore into that is just a wrench in the, the equation that I wasn't going to buy into anyways. I would say Frank Gore is not going to become he, – he won't be fantasy relevant until Adam Gase successfully trades Le'Veon Bell at the trade deadline. Then maybe Gore gets uh, some fantasy usage and uh, we can talk more about Frank Gore it's, then. That's like a singular thought, though. It's not even about really Frank Gore becoming fantasy relevant because he won't. It's a matter of how, does, how much of a detriment is he to Bell this upcoming year. Well, I think the detriment is being on the New York Jets with that offensive line that we don't know how it's going to be with a team that is probably going to be quite bad. I mean, I I don't know how much positivity I can have towards the Jets this season. I understand that how much Joe Douglas invested in the offensive line this offseason, how it was obviously Mekhi Becton in the draft. But to me, a strategy that I have employed, you know, prior to seasons and now in the preseason is just staying away from teams that I think are going to be bad. 
And obviously, I can be wrong in many of those cases. And maybe I am wrong in the New York Jets situation. But I, even if, like last offseason, you know, they have a great preseason, they get us excited almost as much as like the Arizona Cardinals did and the Baltimore Ravens and so on and so forth. I will always go back to wanting to avoid players while sure they might carry the workload or be a feature back or so on and so forth. Good players on bad teams, especially at running back is just a complete season long situation that I do my best to just stay away from. And neither of them are even good players at this point. Even more reason to avoid it. Um, Bad players on bad teams. Are you attacking Bell or Gore or whoever else or anyone from this Jets team in best balls right now, Diggle? Well, Bell was, yeah, on par for another 250, 300-touch season, but he had to move down because of a 37-year-old Frank Gore that just won't seem to go away ever. But I got my way. I just wanted to talk about it really quick. I thought it was significant news, and then I got yelled at. So, Well, we spoke about it. We spoke about it. And now on to uh, more bad things to talk about. This is what the, the meat of this podcast is going to be today. Roto Pat, Patrick Darty, put out one of his pillar pieces – of the entire offseason, one of the pillar pieces of Roto World every single year, of the his company. head coach yeah. rankings. <laughs> now is the time for Pat to sit in a chair in a dark room with that glass that can only be seen through one side with a mirror on the other side. What is that called? And for us to interrogate Patrick Darty on his head coach rankings. Pat, before we dive into one through 32, let's first get a sense of what these rankings are. It's not just the 2019 season, correct? It's kind of the entire tenure of these head coaches as players and pieces of an NFL franchise. Yeah, I mean, obviously I take the rankings aspect seriously. I don't want to just throw out a completely random ordering of the coaches, but that really is secondary. It's supposed to be more of just a snapshot of like, where each coach and kind of by extension their team is at right now, like where they find themselves right now. And uh, so like and some of it too, like, you know, it, these rankings, I don't know if I could say for sure if like this is the exact order of like, if I was p- picking a coach, you know, to start my franchise with right now, you know, what I really start, I don't know if I would start my franchise with John Harbaugh over Sean McVay, but uh, I tried to you know, make it very holistic about past accomplishments uh, current situation, current work, like kind of future projection. I just, it's just supposed to be a snapshot of where these guys are in their career and where their teams are in the league right now. Which ranking did you receive the biggest brushback for? It's always someone, some really random. I had a lot. Uh, it's Mike Tomlin every year. It's uh, mm-hmm. some years you have them way too high. Some years you have them way too low. This year I got a lot of Tomlin too low. Actually, I have them at six. Uh, had a surprising amount of Pete Carroll too low. And see, that's another one. I have Pete Carroll ranked ninth. And to me, I say in the write-up, Pete Carroll is one of the greatest coaches in football history. Like not just NFL history, but like all of football history uh, between what he's done at USC and Seattle. But that's kind of like where the right now comes in, where even though he's still winning, you know how frustrating Pete Carroll is. Um, so I, I'd say Tomlin and Carroll uh, – I had a shocking amount of attaboys on where I had Sean McDermott, hmm. like Bills fans just chiming in, like, yeah, this, I have an 11. Well, like, yeah, that's great. You know, they're excited about Sean McDermott. Like, this feels right. I had, like, the most concurrence on Sean McDermott. Um, well, let's go back on script here. So let's go through these rankings in chunks of five. Pat, we should probably start by saying you're only ranking coaches that have been on their job for 
at least one season. So all the new hires, even if they're like Ron Rivera, who's just going from one team to another, he is not included. So in the end, you have 27 coaches ranked. I had a surprising amount of blowback about that. I do that every year. And like people are like, why can't you rank Ron Rivera coach last year? And it's just like if a coach is in like a total reset situation, yeah. I just kind of want to rank them based on that. I don't want to yeah. rank them. And we've seen even when coaches switch teams, how they have to take a year or two to get what they want to fit their style. And I think yeah. Ron Rivera is definitely a case up there and they might not get that immediately. So you might not have a great sense of who they are, you know, in their new home. All right. So again, we're going to do chunks of five. Then Diggle and I are going to pick out a coach or two in that five and ask Pat about them. Number one, Bill Belichick, New England Patriots. Two, Andy Reid. Three, Sean Payton. Four, John Harbaugh. And five, Doug Peterson. Pat, that five is fascinating to me, more so because of John Harbaugh, obviously of the Ravens, at number four. And that's because, you know, that top three are coaches who are strongly affiliated to one side of the football. I mean, Bill Belichick is the foundation of the Patriots defense. Obviously, Andy Reid and Sean Payton for their offenses. Doug Peterson at five and the Eagles offense. Yet John Harbaugh is this former special teams coordinator, and we don't see him and maybe his fingerprint necessarily on one side of the ball or the other. How was that dynamic when ranking him among all his other peers? Yeah, there aren't many CEO-style coaches in the NFL and definitely are not many uh, in the top 10. And John Harbaugh is someone where to like really get a sense of what Harbaugh does. You kind of need there's – been, there's been a great athletic deep dive on him over the years, a great ESPN deep dive a year or two ago. And he's someone who uh, – he speaks to like, – you know, to me, the base qualification for any NFL head coach needs to be they need to really handle their side of the ball. See, so yeah, when it comes to Harbaugh, how do you evaluate someone like Harbaugh? Harbaugh has always been so good at picking the right lieutenants. I mean, how many different Ravens assistants uh, since 2008 have gotten head coaching jobs or become coordinators from position coaches? And so he's amazing at that. He's amazing at setting the overall tone. Like, you should read about the stuff he does with analytics, the stuff he does with scheduling, like their week. Uh, he schedules things, like, down to the minute. And uh, – he just knows – so, like, kind of like the central piece of my Harbaugh write-up here is, you know, very few coaches – most NFL coaches are against change. And John Harbaugh, once or twice over the years, has had a hot seat uh, despite being, you know, one of the best coaches in the NFL, and most recently in 2018. And to, like, get his seat unhot, uh, they just switched to Lamar Jackson, which, you know, necessitated changing, like, the entire substance and style of their offense. And – that is the kind of change most coaches will never make in a career. And not only did John Harbaugh make it, he did it in the middle of the season and, you know, switched kind of coordinators even in the middle of the season. There wasn't a, a technical firing there, but they basically made Greg Roman the coordinator in the middle of the season. And most coaches are not willing to do that kind of drastic change in a career. And the fact that he did it on the fly in the middle of the season kind of just speaks to – John Harbaugh, just, he's just willing to do – like Bill Belichick, he is willing to do whatever it takes to win. And uh, the proof has quite obviously been in the pudding uh, there with him. That's the, the one person one to talk about unless you want to – unless we need to talk about how far Belichick falls down when the Patriots go third. Yeah, and Pat, I think that's a fair middle. question. I think that's a fair question to ask. Like what if Bill goes 7-9 and nine next season, you know, 6-10 and 10 next season? Is there any way he falls out of that number one spot – you know, if Andy Reid, who has a fantastic roster right now, we know Sean Payton is all in 
on 2020 as well. Is there any chance that Bill moves off that number one spot? I mean, Bill Belichick could go like 0 and 16, like three or four seasons in a row. And I don't think I'd probably remove him from the top spot. And I do think the Patriot, I, my Belichick write up, you know, I talk about, so like the inclination for the Patriots is going to be make 2020 a referendum on Belichick versus Brady. And I think it's silly. We have no way of knowing who, who, who we'll have no way of ever knowing who truly deserved the most credit for this two decade dynasty. But I kind of talk about like, we kind of already saw what a post Tom Brady, Bill Belichick will be like, because last year, uh, you know, Brady appeared limited with the horrible supporting cast. And so what did Belichick do? He just coached the best defense of his entire career. They allowed a league low 225 points. We, we already kind of like a window into post Brady Belichick. And I don't think, I mean, if you think Bill Belichick's going to stop winning now that Tom Brady's gone, uh, so you probably haven't really been paying close attention. And I think that – and I don't think that's a referendum on Tom Brady either. No. Like I said, it's just like two geniuses found each other, and Bill's just going to get to keep doing it longer than Tom because of the nature of his position. Tom's right. reliant on his body. Bill is reliant on his mind, and he's going to get to keep winning. Or if you think Bill's going to choose to lose, I think that that's also incorrect, especially with the defense he has constructed. Like, the NFL's Defensive Player of the Year is still in his roster. Like, you cannot go down to two or three wins with the defense and the secondary that he has built on that side of the ball. So no, I, I've had I, I think of, that conclusion that some people are making is just wild to me. I blocked someone on Twitter this week who recommended – who said that to me. Not solely for that, but uh, like the idea that the Patriots would tank is maybe the most laughable thing I've ever it's heard. It's very Jordan-esque. Kelly's not addicted to gambling. He's addicted yeah. to competition. Like, <laughs> I almost tweeted that this here, week. Fight. Like uh, – like, I can't remember what I wanted it to be, but, like, basically, like, most vicious competitor. I was going to tweet a poll, Bill Belichick yeah. or Michael Jordan. They well, really we, we've moved on from Pat reiterating the tweets he's already made to ones he almost made. So <laughs> yes. I think that we've entered a new realm of this podcast. All right, the next chunk of names, 6 through 10. 6, Mike Tomlin of the Pittsburgh Steelers. 7, Sean McVay of the Los Angeles Rams. 8, Kyle Shanahan, San Francisco 49ers. 9, Pete Carroll, Seahawks. And 10, Mike Zimmer of the Minnesota Vikings. Daigle, which one of those stood out to you? Uh, Sean McVay at number seven would suggest he didn't lose an iota of respect despite uh, last year's somewhat disaster for that Rams team. So another thing I got a lot of pushback on was uh, having Sean McVay ahead of Kyle Shanahan. I would push back on that. These rankings are like year sensitive to a degree, but obviously I can't just be moving people like completely crazy. The Sean McVay body of work is still – He's, he's had three coaching – he's been a coach three years. He's never had a winning percentage below 625. That's your winning percentage when you go nine and seven. Uh, and he – to me, it was almost a victory that they went nine and seven last year considering the key to his success as a play caller has been manipulating Jared Goff. And you know, they couldn't do that behind the offensive line last year. They didn't have an effective safety valve in Todd Gurley. And he still went nine and seven. Uh, Sean McVay's I mean, overall body of work uh, – I had to wait that – I mean, I have Kyle Shannon one spot behind him. To me, if you're looking for a tiebreaker, there are two young offensive auteurs who have both made a Super Bowl already. Uh, it is basically a toss-up, but I did have to wait Sean McVay. Because it's not like Sean McVay inherited – he inherited some really good building blocks, but when Sean McVay inherited this Rams roster, it's not like it was viewed as like a plug-and-play roster, you know, and they immediately won 11 games. Uh, so it's not like – so Kyle Shannon, you know, came into like a rebuilding team so some people might say, well, well, of course, you can't hold those first few years against Shanahan. It's not really like I do, but it's not it's not like McVay had, like, the world's greatest roster and just, like, pressed play and started winning games. He came into a very uncertain situation, too, and just started winning right off the bat. 
Hmm. It's a big year for Sean McVay. We've talked about it before, you know, firing the likes of Wade Phillips and, you know, switching up his offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and trying to self-scout every single week. You know, there was a period of time, Pat, in that 2018 season. I know they went to the Super Bowl, but that Lions team, that defense, and the Patriots, again, were running like this 6-1 front, basically, and gave them tons of headaches. And then, you know, those headaches just didn't go away last year. And so while they're probably moving away, and they did somewhat last year, of running 11 personnel 90 plus percent of the time, it's a big offseason for McVay to reinvent himself. And I know he dropped from three to seven on your list this year, and Kyle Shanahan moved up from 15 to eight this year. But I think the momentum is probably working in the opposite directions with both right now. Do you think, Pat, that we're all just like a little too giddy about Kyle Shanahan? This dynamic of him and, and John Lynch that for years built you know, losing teams. And a lot of that was because the quarterback was injured. But now we, I mean, I, myself included, am just all in on Kyle Shanahan. And probably those outcomes in the past weren't indicative of how good he was as a coach. No, I don't think anyone's, we can almost be under giddy on Kyle Shanahan because, uh, so first off, you know, he's proven it both as a coordinator and as a head coach. I mean, I think we all agree the, the, the vast majority of the credit for the Falcons Super Bowl appearance probably if you're going to sign it to a coach goes to Kyle Shanahan, not to Dan Quinn. That's become even more obvious in the years that have passed, but in Kyle Shanahan, what he did last year. So the 49ers, so part of what I said, why it finally all came together for Kyle Shanahan last year was trust in his key lieutenants kind of coming to fruition, uh, letting John Lynch assemble the roster, letting Robert Sala run the defense. But if I'm looking for real reasons for optimism, they did this on offense well, when they didn't have uh, a clear lead back, you know, they had a, a true running back by committee where they had a very uneven passing attack where they got to the Super Bowl really kind of without a bunch of excellent individual performances on offenses. And he like very much made the whole greater than the sum of its parts. And he kind of got there more on scheme than offensive talent. Not that they had no offensive talent. Obviously they had a lot of offensive talent, but that's why this Kyle Shannon season, uh, was so impressive to me because he really displayed like his full Shanahan-ness hmm. like where this was more about scheme than personnel in my opinion and the personnel has nowhere to go but up if you're talking scheme I mean maybe offensive scheme maybe Andy Reid is better than Kyle Shanahan but I mean, that's about it Loki really liked putting the likes of Pete Carroll and Mike Zimmer after the McVeighs and mm-hmm. the Shanahan's and even the people we talked about earlier on this list, because that kind of shows you embracing offensive nightmares and those names we just mentioned versus, you know, ball control and tempo and defense of Pete Carroll and Mike Zimmer. All right. So, so one more quick, is it, you still can't completely discount them. It's, no, it wins. Because so Pete Carroll, since the, since they've lost the Super Bowl in the six seasons in, they've still averaged 10 victories. This now is right every year about Pete Carroll. It's like, He's still great. He just, why does he make it this hard on himself? And, uh, All right. Next chunk of five, 11 through 15. Sean McDermott of the Buffalo Bills checks in at 11. 12, Mike Vrabel, Tennessee Titans. 13, Frank Reich with the Colts. 14, Bruce Arians of the Bucks, And 15, Matt LaFleur of the Packers. Daigle, when you were going through Roto Pat's piece, did any of these catch your eye? This just seems like the middling tier where we kind of shove everyone and then you just subjectively rank them, right? Because all these guys, like when you go one lower, we'll get to that in a second, but we're getting closer to the cutoff where Pat 
thinks coaches are average and below average. So these guys are technically above average in these rankings. But then again, you just look at the names and, you know, I have respect for Frank Reich and Bruce Arians, uh, Mike Vrabel, but it doesn't seem like they've done much over uh, a long period of time at their position. Yeah, this is kind of like the transition zone of the list. And some people who are like a flash seem ready to make a move like Sean McDermott or Mike Rabel or, and Frank Reich, who like, talked about giving Sean McVay credit for a season that went awry. Uh, the fact that Frank Reich went 7-9 to nine after his quarterback retired in August, you know, like a biblical wave of injuries on both sides of the ball was probably still a good sign for him. I mean, Bruce Arians, you know, is there really 13 NFL head coaches better than Bruce Arians? I'm not sure, but Bruce Arians just kind of seemed out of gas to me. He seemed out of gas to me at the end in Arizona. It seemed like kind of like he was going through the motions last year in Tampa Bay. Like someone who used to be like a micromanager uh, just didn't seem to have that fire. But I think maybe Bruce Arians is now kind of graduating into a CEO role. And like, you know, you, know, you don't sign Tom Brady if you're lacking for ambition. So I think maybe Bruce Arians is kind of getting that fire back. And then you have Matt LaFleur at 15. That's kind of like, that's when I don't really have any idea what to do with. Usually a rookie head coach, if they go 13 and three, I'll probably get them into the top 10. But the Packers, I, I can't, can any of us figure out how the Packers did this last year? They didn't score any more points than 2018. The defense was a lot better, but, you know, like the advanced statistics basically said this was a 10 and six roster, not a 13 and three roster. They went eight and one and one score games, a really fickle statistic as we know, and the floor at 15 is kind of like, I don't know where to put this. Well, and I'm sure you're not looking ahead because that's impossible to predict what they're doing. So I'm sure you didn't count, you know, the Jordan Love acquisition, the the running back acquisition in the second round, who's, you know, trying to recreate his Derrick Henry. So I, I think that that obviously only gives you more pause. There's a lot to hit on on what you said, Pat. Bruce Arians is fascinating because it was a case last year and he said it publicly that if I couldn't get these coordinators and Byron Leftwich and Todd Bowles, like I wouldn't be doing this job. And yes. it kind of seems like this Tom Brady energy with Rob Gronkowski has kind of been like an injection of excitement into him a little bit. It almost felt like a science project. This is what I write in the red. It almost felt like a science project last year to see if he could get Byron Leftwich or Todd Bowles, like a head coaching job. Like it seemed like he cared more about that than the season. It was just a bizarre vibe from Bruce Arians for me, but as we both seem to believe, maybe he's kind of getting his mojo back. And Because you don't go get Tom Brady if you don't have big aspirations for the upcoming season. And Frank Reich, as you mentioned, a year ago, he thought Andrew Luck was his quarterback at this time of year. And just what, in that position, you know, there are only 32 of those jobs. Being able to at least get, what, seven and nine out of them last year. I mean, I think that's a positive in his hat when The roster, I don't think was, you know, they have obviously great pieces in certain areas, but as a whole is not complete. Uh, The two I want to hit on quickly, Pat, Mike Vrabel, the biggest question, is that the style that is sticky? Is that the style that is going to sustain success with, because they brought the band back together basically Mm -hmm. in every facet. And so in the 12 or 14 game stretch, whatever it was, and I know they got deep into the playoffs and, you know, I I was all in on that team because they were fun. But, you know, it's, it's not something like a Sean Payton offense. It's not something like a Andy Reid offense that we can be like, yeah, definitely. I, I can see that going another year. And then I, I love that Sean McDermott's at number 11 because he, you know, I, I think you can separate someone who's been in his position for two or three years if you can easily see 
the mind games that are working and kind of his plan and if it's being enacted. And with Sean McDermott, you absolutely can because he basically tried to recreate the Super Bowl contending defense that he had in Carolina. He has done that. And then he's gotten this, you know, high variance playmaker at quarterback, but he's like, hey, Brian Dayball, reel him in a little bit and play to his strengths. And that certainly happened as well. A few quick thoughts on Vrabel. I mentioned, yeah, so like rushing volume and passing opportunism uh, can work on offense. But as you said, that's a little, that's like you have a low margin for error with that style of offense. So that is a big concern with Mike Vrabel. That's like a high wire type. That's a high wire act on offense because you fall behind in a game, you know, that doesn't work. Uh, But Mike Vrabel uh, said the single most important thing for any head coach to do, in my opinion, is you've got to take care of your side of the ball. You've got to be the tone setter on your side of the ball. And I'd say Mike Vrabel has made the Titans probably a top 10 defense uh, over the past year without – uh, not they have a talent, but not like uh, when you think of like the most talented defenses. You're probably not going to think of the Tennessee Titans, but not at all. Yeah. they've been a top ten defense under Mike Vrabel. So he's taking care of his side of the ball. He's not afraid to make big decisions. You know, this was this finish last year was sparked by him benching you know the, someone who should have been their franchise player, and he just seems like someone kind of getting the broad strokes to me, right? And Sean McDermott, you talk about taking care of your own side of the ball. I mean. Sean McDermott has already proven to be one of the defense, probably three or four best defensive game, game planners on the entire NFL. I mean, I think they've been a top two defense by most of the, the broad metrics the past year in terms of a yards or points. And Sean McDermott just knows defense, period. Um, but like in the Bills have made two playoff appearances this century. Both have been under Sean McDermott the past three years. So clearly he's doing something right. But he's another guy who has so much front office power. Uh, I think it's going to take a little longer for McDermott to kind of complete his project because uh, him and Brandon Bean, you know, they made a very risky decision at quarterback. And it looks like Josh Allen has too many fatal flaws. And I think Sean McDermott's probably a quarterback away from being able to complete his project. Uh, but he's one of the best defensive minds already in the NFL. 16 through 20. Dig, I'll let you take this one after I go through the list. Matt Nagy of the Bears sits at 16, 17. Bill O'Brien. Houston Texans, 18, Anthony Lynn, Los Angeles Chargers, 19, John Gruden and the Las Vegas Raiders, and 20, Brian Flores of the Miami Dolphins. It's an interesting one because I think Brian Flores should be higher. Like we saw him have that Belichick competitiveness and he couldn't even accept tanking for a better quarterback and still lucked into Tua at number five overall. But this is the cutoff. This is where, Pat, you were saying Matt Nagy, who – I, ha- I, I genuinely don't know anything about as a head coach. We've seen one good year and one terrible year. You're saying he is the bar for average, 16 overall. And then you're saying beyond him, Bill O'Brien sets the bar for being below average at number 17. Bill O'Brien, man, like where would you guys rank Bill O'Brien? This is the kind of thing, I feel like you'd get 10 different answers on where to rank Bill O'Brien. We probably led the entire league in control F whenever readers jumped in this, right? <laughs> probably trying to did. figure out. Where he's becoming the new Fisher for sure. Uh, he's just, again, this is what I say in the right. He's just a figure of like utter bafflement. Like what do you do with Bill O'Brien? Because, you know, we know all about Bill O'Brien's foibles and the things that are wrong with him, but you can't write him complete. He's, he's a man who's won divisions with Brock Osweiler and Brian Hoyer. So it's <laughs> like, you can't completely write Bill O'Brien off. It's just one of those things you don't, I just, I still don't know what I'm looking at with Bill O'Brien. Nothing about him makes sense. I don't expect anything about him to make sense going forward. 
Um, he has been trending down. I think I had him like ninth or 10. I had him in the top 10 a few years ago uh, when he, when he was seeming, when you, you know, the first when he was years, new to the scene when you didn't know yeah. as much about him, when you didn't, he didn't have as much power. So he was and still so considered forth. a QB guru. Yeah. Yes. When the car hood had not been popped on him, right. he has been falling. It's bizarre because he's 11 and five and just made the divisional round. Bill O'Brien, was there anything more Bill O'Brien? He has one of the most stirring comebacks in recent playoff history and the wild card round. And then in the divisional round, he blows a 24 to nothing lead and loses by 20 points. I mean, that is maybe the most Bill O'Brien thing of all time. And he's 52 and 44 in his career. Pat, you're going to be surprised on this list who I think is ranked too low. That's John Gruden. I think John Gruden is ranked too low. And I understand like their point differential last year was abysmal, but besides that fact that I just spit out, uh, watching that team, I actually thought John Gruden did a pretty good job offensively. The offensive line was a lot better than expected heading in. Josh Jacobs, a top five running back in the league at times last season, the piece, and we talked about last episode, the piece that I think is holding them back, one, is not having enough playmakers offensively. And we saw Darren Waller go off because he was actually a legitimate playmaker. Well, that has possibly been changed this offseason with Henry Ruggs and a whole bunch of other names brought in. Um, but the question is, like, what is the ceiling with Derek Carr in charge? But, you know, the biggest question with John Gruden is how much time he spent away from it if he could catch up to the current NFL, right? Could he catch up to the McVeighs, the Shanahan's, the so on and so forth? And I, I can't give you, like, you know, I'm no expert or guru or coach or whatever, but from just an entertainment perspective, there is a chance to me where it might not reach the Broncos or obviously the Chiefs and the AFC West, but that the Las Vegas Raiders put out a top half offense next season for sure. It's uh, John Gruden's another guy. It's not quite to the Bill O'Brien level where, but it's kind of like hard to know what to make of this. And I say it'd be uncharitable to call him a bad coach. John Gruden is not a bad coach. Uh, but when you're making $10 million a year, uh, you're paid to be making more than incremental progress. You're being paid to be a difference maker. And John Gruden can still scheme a highly efficient offense. Um, he's gotten Derek Carr each of the past two years, like new levels of efficiency, but hasn't gotten those big plays that, like you said, he's so desperate for. And then Gruden's another guy like Bill O'Brien, where it's hard to it's hard to separate Gruden the coach from Gruden the GM. And uh, they him and Mike Mayak they go out and get Marcus Mariota. That's not going to solve their Derek Carr problem. And Gruden, I think ultimately, I think he has shown enough as a coach where, given the right roster, Gruden can certainly be a playoff coach again. But I think he and Mayak kind of like a tendency to like overcorrect, and they got too desperate in this hunt for big play threats last year. Uh, the, the horrible move, Martavis Bryant, uh, you know, very risky move with Antonio Brown that did not pay off. And then again, this year, they focus like their whole draft around playmakers. Um, but what, what good are playmakers with Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota, two quarterbacks that have like kind of, I'd say very much definitively proven they can't take advantage of those kind of players. And Gruden still is a good offensive mind. He can clearly scheme offense. But he hasn't, he's not meeting the baseline of a $10 million per year coach. And I just think ultimately his work in the front office alongside Meg Maggs probably going to undermine him too much and kind of keep him stuck in like the 7-9, to 9-7 nine, nine and seven zone. All right, we move on with the next chunk. That is 21. Why don't we just go 21 to 27 since that rounds out Let's this do it. list. Cliff Kingsbury at 21 with the Arizona Cardinals. 22, Vic Fangio. 23, Dan Quinn. 
24, Zach Taylor, 25, Adam Gase. There are people behind Adam Gase in this list. 26, Matt Patricia of the Lions. And 27 closes the bottom of this list, Pat, with Doug Marone and the Jacksonville Jaguars. I know that, you know, we're kind of filtering through the worst coaches, your list, not mine, your words, not mine, of the NFL right now. But there's some positivity and optimism in some of these names. I would point to there's a drastic difference between Cliff Kingsbury at 21 versus Doug Marone at 27. Yeah, I would actually too say this is the best, the worst of the list has ever been. Like there have been far worse, worst coaches than Doug Marone. Um, by the way, a common complaint I got on Twitter was why was Adam Gase not last? Uh, that was a common complaint. from. I mean, Jets Adam fan. Gase wasn't even considered to be fired. Whereas Doug Marone, like we thought he was gone and he begged for his job in a meeting room and got it back. So, yeah, it's weird to call Doug Marone the worst coach in the NFL because he's not really that offensive of a figure. But, I mean, he's literally and figuratively not that offensive of a figure. He's supposed to be an offensive mind, uh, but he's not setting the tone on offense. He's cycling through offensive coordinators. Uh, something a good coach has to do. you got to put up with roster problems. The Jags have had a lot of roster problems. Uh, he can't overcome bad rosters. You know, that Jags defense regressed. Everyone expected the historically good Jags defense to regress. Uh, but it was much hit much faster and harder than I think anyone could have seen coming. He had no answer for that. And it's just kind of like, what does Doug Marone do? You know, uh, I can't put my finger on what any, any true positives Doug Marone brings that mean he's not, even, he's not a player's coach. He's letting the team president last year, find players for standing on the sideline wrong. Uh, I was, I did have Matt Patricia last for a long time, but I decided even Matt Patricia, I can find a few positives where he throws out some creative defensive game plans. Josh mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, the Patriots used the Lions' Super Bowl game plan against the Rams. Matt Patricia did have – he as much as we made fun of Matt Patricia in 2018, his offense, his run-heavy offense, he course-corrected last year and came back with a much better modern aerial scheme. He can't help this quarterback got hurt. But still, uh, there's more bad than good with Matt Patricia. So I For, don't talk like – SEO and hot take purposes going from Bill Belichick to Doug Marone doesn't move the needle. You know, if you ever think about that going in the future of what could bring more attention, I don't know. Bill Belichick to his protege and Matt Patricia might, might be a little bit better. I'm just saying, Uh, but Pat of this 21 to 27, there are some head coaches that are in no way losing their jobs. The Kingsbury is one. Vic Fangio is one. Other than that, like Dan Quinn, obviously on the outs, possibly Adam Gase, Matt Patricia, Doug Marone might be replaced halfway through the season by Jay Gruden. Who knows? Fangio and and Kingsbury, I could see as massive movers in this list next year. So Fangio and Kingsbury, this is by no way trying to suggest they're bad coaches, but this is kind of where you see how difficult of an exercise this can be because these are two guys we probably both have positive feelings about. We have, we have positive feelings about going book four, but they have one year of head coaching experience. Both were under 500 and you basically got to start them somewhere. And I think Cliff Kingsbury will be better than Bill O'Brien and probably John Gruden and probably a lot of these guys in front of him. But there's been a lot of times we've thought that about head coaches. I thought that about Chip Kelly, you know, and then it doesn't happen. So that's why the write up is more important than the ranking. Cause we, based on, you know, like cold, hard facts of the 2019 season, I can't rank Cliff Kingsbury any higher. But in the write-up, we get into why he's still a promising head coach. We do the same thing with Vic Fangio. Uh, 
got to a horrible start last year, used a completely retrograde offense, got boat raced by bad teams, uh, but, you know, did his thing as the year went on, imposed his will on defense, uh, signaled the changes that were going to be coming on offense, and him and John Elway seem to understand the stakes. They can't run this ridiculous uh, Stone Age run offense anymore. Uh, so, yeah, those are two guys we feel good about, but this, there's only so high you can put them after one year and a losing record. The primary trait that Kingsbury holds over the rest of this list is the fact that when everything didn't seem to work, he would just change the approach, whereas everyone else just sticks with the same approach they know and they've known all along. So uh, that is the one thing that I absolutely loved about Kingsbury last year. And that's so I'm so glad you said that because that's what I put in the write-up too. Like, so what tripped up Chip Kelly? Uh, he couldn't adapt. He had no answer for when the league – whereas – Kingsbury last year, his problem was almost he had too many ideas. You know, couldn't decide one week they're run heavy, one week they're pass heavy, one week they're super vertical on passing offense, one week they're really horizontal with the passing offense. And he basically seemed like he was spending the year experimenting, figuring out who he wanted to be as an NFL head coach. Kingsbury is going to have answers for what is thrown at him. So I'm really glad you said that because that's why that's the main reason I see for optimism with Cliff Kingsbury. And, uh, Maybe they could have changed up. I don't know. But either way, I really think when we look back at Matt Patricia's tenure, because it's not going to end well. I would love for it to. It's not going to end well, though. Uh, I really think it's going to be blemished hard because you could argue during his every single year with the Lions, he's had top-heavy talent to compete in the NFC North every single year. And just his style of play just can't get it done. No, and he's a defensive head coach who's alienating his best defensive mm-hmm. players. Chases off Quandre Diggs and chases off Darius Slay. That's something bad head coaches do. Good head coaches figure out how to keep their important players happy. It's not an easy job. Uh, it's a thankless task life, but that's what you have to do. And Matt Patricia is not a good enough coach to be chasing off super talented defensive players, and that's what he's done. He's just he's done so many things that bad head, bad head coaches do. I don't know. I put Bill O'Brien at number 17 on this list. So if he keeps <laughs> doing it, maybe it winds up higher up. Um, okay. Let's hit on some of the new hires. We have Joe judge, obviously with the giants, Mike McCarthy, the Dallas Cowboys, Matt rule, Carolina Panthers, Ron Rivera, Washington Redskins, and the Kevin Stefanski led Cleveland Browns. Pat, which of those are you most optimistic might wind up in the top 15 of this list next year. Next year? Yeah, give me one uh, name. The one name that you are most comfortable saying, yes, he has a strong chance of being in the top 15. It's probably going to be it's the worst possible answer. I mean, it's probably going to be Mike McCarthy because of his track record and the talent he's going to have this year. And he was another guy every year. I'm like, where the heck do I put Mike McCarthy? Um, you know, the Cowboys, they wanted a culture change uh, after a decade – of clapping through uh, Jason Garrett's underachievement. And uh, they certainly got it. And Mike McCarthy, one of the more grim people uh, you'll ever encounter in a league full of grim people. Uh, McCarthy is one of the most grim, uh, you know, but he's the guy, he swears he's different. You know, he had like a, like a, an awakening in his year away from the league. He says he's, he's not going to be so much of a micromanager. I mean, I put it in his favor in the right. I was stunned when Mike McCarthy retained Kellen Moore as offensive mm-hmm. coordinator. So that's like Mike McCarthy's baby is like micromanaging the offense, like on a literally every play basis. So maybe led me to believe maybe Mike McCarthy has changed. Maybe he will be the right guy for this. Um, yeah, next year, the highest of these guys is probably going to be Mike, Mike McCarthy, mm. which is not a fun answer, but uh, probably just an acknowledgement of reality. 
Daigle, we've gone through coaches one through 27 slash 32 on this list. Uh, I'm going to pose this question to you. Who do you think is going to be the biggest mover in this group, either positively or negatively next year? I will say Zach Taylor, because I still don't know who he is. I have no idea. I couldn't pick him out of a one-man lineup. Like, I don't know what his personality is. I don't know what he does for that organization, (laughs) but he's doing something. Uh, I also noticed, Pat, that his write-up is the shortest of everyone, so I don't think you know who he is either. I'm I'm right there with you. I would – I think – Vic Fangio moving up from 22 into the teens, easily the teens, is definitely possible because we already saw his defensive makeup last year and how much they've invested in offense. I think that team, the Broncos, might be not lucking into a window to win, but heading in that direction, maybe not by their own doing. And Pat, Matt Nagy at 16, I could see him in the 20s or off this list completely next Mm -hmm. year. I don't think that Bears team is set up for success at all. An improvement from Mitch Trubisky hoping that Nick Foles is going to be the answer to the offense, to the team in general. It's what you caught the spirit of the Nagy write-up because it was a miracle they were even 8-8 and last year. And he just has too many subpar athletes, too many important spots on offense. Matt Nagy was very creative as a rookie head coach, but he doesn't have the right talent to do that with. And He's a guy kind of through no fault of his own who could be plunging and could be headed back to coordinator land uh, very soon. And the Texans do have an opening for a hygiene coordinator. So when Bill O'Brien takes that on, (laughs) what does that do for his coaching skills? Hmm. All right. We've gone through the list. Any closing thoughts, Pat, before we close this chapter? Again, one of the pillar pieces of Roto-World's offseason, which you can go check out right now on rotoworld.com. Pat, the floor is yours. I just hope people read it. Uh, Again, Again, I, I work hard on the actual ranks, the number, but it's more about the write-up. It's more just about the assessment of where these coaches and their teams are. And I would just encourage the readers uh, to focus on that. Again, like I, I'm not just mailing in the rankings. I understand you got to have people want them ranked. You have to have them ranked. Um, you got to focus on the substance of the write-up and not necessarily uh, just the number. Um, yeah, I have so much fun doing this. It's definitely the most fun I have writing an article all year. Um, and it's just, a, it's a fascinating topic. It's a topic you can have an entire podcast on as we just did. It's a very, very fascinating topic. And they can send all complaints, every single one you're open to, to at Rotopat and Twitter, correct? Mm-hmm. They do. They do. So, <laughs> um, all right. That's going to do it for us again. Thank you, Pat, for joining us. Thank you, John Daigle for being here as well. We'll be back next Tuesday with the first week of the NFL season spoiled for all of you. We'll go through every single game, pick the winners and the losers. Should be but before then, an exercise. What's before the bagel? to like and subscribe. Because last I checked, Josh, we are officially on the fifth row from the top under the football category. Hit the cheers applause. <laughs> and we're yeah. stopping us now. What does oh, that mean, yeah. fifth row from the top? I don't even know what that means. I mean, to be fair, they're only – Two, when you go to iTunes, there are only two podcasts in each row. So we're mm. next to Adam Schefter, last I looked, under football, which is Got good. It. That means that we're up good. there. But we no can offense, be higher. Adam. We can we're coming higher. for you. We're coming for you, Schefter. <laughs> the goal, we just want to be everyone's third favorite podcast. If we are everyone's yeah. third favorite podcast, we are doing our jobs. Trust me, we will lean into July and August when people are, are trying to 
create and draft their best fantasy football team possible. But now is the time to get in. You know, get in before all that. That's going to be like our second and third album, which everyone loves. But this is the real stuff right Don't now. Be a sheep. The early stuff that people really like. And you can refer back to it whenever you want to. All right. Let's go home. Let's have a weekend. For John Daigle. For Patrick Doherty. I'm Josh Norris. Up the villa. Talk to you soon. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The legends are true. Overwhelming power. Sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of McDonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.